Amen, amen. Great job this morning, team. Weren't they great? Come on. Fantastic. Okay, well, I'm going to try and navigate a sermon without the boot today. How about that? Doctors in the, doctors in the uh, congregation are kind of slightly concerned, telling me, heel and toe, heel and toe. I'm trying, I'm trying. <clears throat> I've, been, uh, I've been very uh, struck by a number of different podcasts recently. I've, I listen to quite a lot of them. Uh, the most regular one that I listen to, full transparency here, is uh, an English soccer radio program. Um, you know, it's just part of the thing. Um, and I, I listen to other stuff as well. I listen to newscasts and um, a thing called Danny in the Valley, which gives us an idea on what's happening in technology. And I was introduced uh, just recently to the Tim Ferriss show. Um, and it's a kind of long format uh, podcast. I was always told as a young man that people had an attention span of a, of a goldfish. And so, you know, obviously you can only speak for 10 minutes in church and people will only listen for 20 minutes if they turn the radio on. Well, these things are like three hours long. And um, you just kind of leave them. They're like audio wallpaper as you're walking around the house and doing your stuff. And, and this particular one um, is really quite fascinating. It's called The Lion Tracker's Guide to Life. And it's a guy called Boyd Vardy, who's a, a South African who has been rewilding areas of the South African wilderness and taking people on adventures and expeditions for many years now. And there was a, a statement that, that one of the trackers that he works with, who are local to the area that he, that he lives in, uh, the, one of the statements that, uh, that one of the trackers made really caught my attention, and it was this. I don't know where we're going, but I know how to get there. I don't know where we're going, but I know how to get there. In other words, there's no certainty about the specific destination of this particular task, this particular adventure, this particular phase of life, but I've learned the skills that enable me to get to the destination as it reveals itself. There are particular skills. There are particular skills that we need to be able to navigate life successfully. And as disciples of Jesus, of course, the scriptures give us those skills. In this passage, you're going to hear Paul, in a rather dramatic and dynamic way, reveal skills that Jesus has taught him as he's learned to see and hear what it is that the Lord is doing and what it is that people are doing around him as they interact with their creator, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And as you, as you listen to this story, this is the next phase in our adventure through the Acts of the Apostles. As you listen to this story, listen for the skills that Paul has as he enters into what must have been something like a lion's den for him. Paul has been brought before the Sanhedrin, as Aaron so helpfully introduced to us earlier. In chapter 23, verse 1, it says this, Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, 
I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered that those standing near Paul strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to them, God strike you, you whitewashed wall. You sit there, judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violated the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? Paul replied, brothers, I didn't realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil of the ruler of your people. Then Paul, knowing that some, were, some of them were Sadducees and others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. There was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage, as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. <clears throat> now, Paul here is demonstrating some really amazing skills, but they stem from his relationship with Jesus. Of course, he's an intelligent man. Of course, he's a learned man. Of course, he has a capacity to perceive the things around him. But he has honed these skills in his discipleship of Jesus. And so when he comes into the Sanhedrin, he's able, through his unity with Jesus, he's able to see and for the purposes of his own survival, exploit the divisions that were there in the company. It's an amazing thing, I think, that Paul gives us an example of how it is that we can function in a world of division and yet know within ourselves that we're not party to the division. We're not, we're, not, we're not focused on the division as if it's our own division. We're not, we're not stressed or made anxious by the division because our fundamental identity is found in our union with Christ. And so in his union with Christ, he was able to function in a world of massive division. And that would be an interesting subject for us to explore. But as I looked at this, I felt as though it, were, it was the underlying skills that Paul demonstrated that we should perhaps look at this week. Because they follow on from what it was that we looked at last week. We looked, remember last week, at the idea of seeing and hearing and understanding what that might mean. And here Paul sees something in the crowd of the Sanhedrin and hears, I'm sure, the witness of God speaking to him as to how it is that he should function for his own survival so that he can continue in the path that God has given him. But to do this, Paul has shaped and has grown the muscles 
of two specific skills. Now, in broad terms, these skills are called repentance and faith. But they're religious terms. They're terms that come with baggage for many people in the congregation here, in-house and online. And so I've tried to, as it were, re-express them to you in the past weeks so that you can reconsider them again. Repentance in the life of Paul was very much embracing his weakness, recognizing his frailty, coming to a point of understanding his sinfulness. This embracing of weakness was a reality for Paul every day. Alongside this, this skill of embracing weakness on a daily, moment-by-moment basis was the understanding that he could attend to what it was that God was doing and saying. He could embrace his weakness and in that cause himself to be soft-hearted toward God, cause himself to turn toward God, receive from God, and in turning toward God, the other skill comes into play, which is attending, attending, seeing and hearing what it is that God wants to reveal and say. These two skills, the skill skill of embracing and attending, embracing weakness, attending to God, are the skills of life. And because they're the skills of life, they are the skills of discipleship. And they are the skills that Jesus wants you to grow in today. He wants you to learn how to embrace your weakness and how that will benefit you. He wants you to learn how to attend to him, to see him and to hear him. And in that growing capacity, know what it is to walk by faith. Now, Paul has had a visitation from Jesus on a number of different occasions. He's, he's seen the Lord on different times and in different situations throughout his life. Of course, we know some of those. He's on his way to Damascus. He's not a Christian or a follower of Jesus. He's coming to persecute the followers of Christ. On his way to Damascus, a bright light shines, knocks him to the ground, and the voice of Jesus speaks to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? Says Paul. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, and I'll show you what you've been assigned to do. He gets to Damascus, he's blind, he has to be led by the hand. He's taken to the home of a believer. And there in the home of the believer, a man comes to him, incidentally called Ananias, the same name as the man who's the high priest that that we've just read about. A man, a different, obviously a different Ananias, comes to him and says, Brother Paul, receive your sight. The Lord has chosen to reveal himself to you, and he has called you to be a witness to the nations and to all the Gentiles. Immediately, scales fall from his eyes. He's baptized and is projected, propelled into a life of discipleship that he never imagined would be his. He spends time 
in the area around Damascus, maybe three years, listening to, reflecting upon the voice of Jesus as he reads the scriptures afresh and recognizes that the Messiah has been foretold on every page. He comes to Jerusalem seeking an audience with the leaders of the church, wanting to be included and accepted as a believer, and people withdraw from him because they know his reputation. And in that moment, the people who sent him on his assignment to kill Christians have decided to kill him also. Jesus appears to him again and says, you need to get out of Jerusalem. And so he leaves Jerusalem and goes into hidden years of difficulty and struggle. Hidden years that we've spoken about when no doubt he's trying to fulfill his mission but is seeing little fruit attending to his effort. Eventually, he's called by Barnabas to come to Antioch where the Gentiles first believe and he sees with his own eyes the fulfillment of the promise of Jesus and there with Barnabas, he sees a great harvest of souls and he's sent out by the church to continue the work and they go on their first missionary journey and it's a wonderful thing. They, they go down to Jerusalem and settle with the Jerusalem church that the Gentiles really are believers and really are followers of Jesus. And then they go off on their second missionary journey. Barnabas to Cyprus. Jesus, uh, Paul, hearing the words of Jesus to take Silas with him, goes back to the churches that he's planted on his first missionary journey and then on. And at the end of that missionary journey, he realizes that it's just overwhelming opposition that he's facing. People want him dead. He's in the city of Corinth. And Jesus comes to him and says, fear not, I'm with you. After that, he takes a vow, goes to Jerusalem, asks the Lord three times to remove the thorn in his flesh, the people that are pursuing him, the people that are opposing him, the people that want to destroy his work and his life. And the Lord says, no, my grace is enough for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul goes back on a third missionary journey, sees amazing things, power that is unrivaled, miracles that are so exceptional that the Bible describes them as such. And at the end of his third missionary journey, he chooses to take a gift to the believers in Jerusalem and Judea. And there in Jerusalem, he's taken captive, brought into the custody of the Romans for fear that he will be torn to pieces by his Jewish brethren who hate him so. There before the Sanhedrin, he escapes death yet again. No doubt, the post-traumatic syndrome that Paul must have lived with for years was, of course, rising in his breast. And the next night, the Lord comes to him again and says, take courage. Take courage. Because in the same way that you've witnessed to the people in Jerusalem, you're going to be my witness in Rome, the very center of the world. Amazing story. Amazing experience. Remarkable person. 
And the ways in which Jesus speaks fall into two major, major categories. These, these two major categories are big picture and small picture. They are to do with God's transcendence and to do with God's imminence. Transcendence means God's distant perspective, taking in the whole of time and eternity. God's transcendence that is reference to his glory and his power and his holiness. He's so far and above us. And yet, in his transcendence, God chooses to step into our life. Not simply, though it's not simple. Not merely, though it's not a mere thing. Not only in the person of Jesus becoming a human being, but into our daily experience Touching our very emotions in the moment that we have them. Fear not. Take courage. There's a transcendence in what it is that Jesus speaks to Paul. I've assigned you. I've called you. I've sent you. But there's an imminence in what it is that Jesus is saying. Fear not. Get out. Take courage. The God of the universe, the transcendent creator of all things, is right next to you right now, whispering in your ear. What is it that you need to hear today? What are your emotions doing today? What are your experiencing today? What are the, what are the circumstances conspiring to make you feel and know right now. God is able and will and wants to step in right there. God is both transcendent and imminent. God is able to look at your life from afar and see the end from the beginning. And God is able to step into your moment right now. Now, knowing this and understanding this means that we will grow in the skills of discipleship, the skills of repentance and faith, the skills of embracing our weakness and attending to what it is that God is saying and doing. In the past few weeks, maybe it's months now, they all run into one another for me as I preach, we've looked at what it means to embrace our weakness we looked at Paul's life over and over again, and we've noticed that to embrace our weakness is enormously important. Recognizing our faults, recognizing our frailties, recognizing our tendency to sin, recognizing the weakness that all of us have. We all have a fault line running through us that will undoubtedly be exposed when we're shaken. And in that acknowledgement, we, of course, begin the journey of embracing our weakness. We acknowledge our weakness. The next one is a difficult one, especially for Americans. Because we're taught to be strong. We're taught that if you work hard enough, you can overcome anything, 
including your own weaknesses. You have to accept your weaknesses. You have to accept your tendency towards failure and frailty. And you accept without accommodation. You're not accommodating the weaknesses. You're not accommodating the frailty. You're not accommodating the faults. But you are accepting them. It's no good closing your eyes to the fundamental problems of your life. I've tried it. It doesn't work. They just get bigger and bigger with longer and longer teeth and more and more muscles and eventually they'll overpower you and eat you. The little pet weakness that started as a domesticated cat will one day be a lion that will consume you. Acknowledge the weakness. Accept that it's real. Don't accommodate it, but accept that it's real. It really is there. My goodness, the things that I've had to accept in these last few months as I've talked to counselors about this issue of re rejection and, and abandonment. I mean, honestly, I've told you before, Potty trained at gunpoint in a military family. You, you, don't, you don't accept stuff like that. But you have to. Because if you don't, they're going to come and get you. So we embrace our weakness. And Paul heard this, didn't he? He wanted to get rid of the thorns in his flesh. He wanted to get rid of the things that were causing him trouble. He was simply saying to God, look, if you could get rid of these people, I could do more work for you. And God's saying, wait, you think you're essential to this process? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace. My loving initiative towards you in every moment of every day is enough for you. In every moment, I have a loving initiative towards you. I love you. And I'm coming towards you in every moment. It's enough for you. I'm not going to get rid of the thorns. I'm going to meet you where the thorns stick you, puncture you, wound you. And I'm going to reveal power in your weakness. So we acknowledge that we're weak. We acknowledge that we're frail. We acknowledge that we're broken people. We accept that these things are true of us without accommodating them. And then eventually, when we have had enough training in humility, we articulate them. We just say them. 
Hardest thing of all, perhaps, is to admit them. I'm so grateful that I meet with um, a, a Discovery Bible community every week, after the one that meets in my house, uh, a group of young people who basically say to me, if you're going to turn up with the pastor talk, we don't want you. Now, they've never actually said that, but in roundabout ways they have. If you're going to turn up and be a pastor type, then don't turn up. Because if you're not going to turn up and be weak and broken like us, we won't trust you. We won't trust you. If you're hiding stuff, why should we reveal stuff? If you're covering up stuff, why should we be the ones who are acknowledging what is going on in our lives? Why don't you acknowledge it? You see, this is the great joy and the great strength of being with the emerging generation. They've got this little gauge. It's called a BS gauge. I don't have to tell you what BS means. It's all right. You've got this BS gauge, and it, it's really on a, heart, a little kind of hair spring. And they, they know it, and they hear it. And you parents know that they know it, and you grandparents know that they know it. And when they're not listening to you, it's because they think that you're living a lie. It's because they think that you're living in unreality. It's because they think that you are covering up instead of acknowledging and articulating. So repentance, the life of repentance, is a life of embracing our weakness. Acknowledge, accept, without accommodation, articulate. But what about the life of faith? What does that look like? Perhaps, as evangelical Christians, we're more familiar with repentance than faith. Perhaps, at ministry time, you look at the people going forward and you say, I'm so glad I've repented before I got here. Because otherwise I'd have to be up there too. More of that later. So what about attending to God? What could we learn from Paul? about attending to God. So embracing our weakness, we've learned some things from Paul. What about attending to God? Well, again, it's a whole series of alliterated words. And um, I'm going to try and use the iPad here and share that alliteration with you. Because we've got acknowledge, accept, without accommodation, articulate. But what about attending to God? Attending to God requires anticipation. Anticipation. Is that right? No, I'm going to do that all again. It's um, anticipation. There it is. Got it? Is that right? Teachers? Yeah. Anticipation. So if you're going to attend to God, here's the thing. He might catch you by surprise. But he's speaking and moving all the time. 
This is what Jesus says in, in John 11 when he speaks about sheep and shepherds. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I'm speaking all the time. The, the basic understanding of communication between heaven and earth is that heaven is always talking. Just like children. Heaven is always communicating. So there's an anticipation of God speaking. An anticipation of good. An anticipation of God. With that anticipation, there is, of course, attention. Attention to the ways in which God speaks. How is he going to speak to you? He's going to speak to you according to the ways that he made you. Now, this is really important. Every, every analysis of human, human interaction and human communication, ever since we began doing this, has indicated that the vast majority of human communication is nonverbal. Yeah? Minimum 70%, more likely 80% of human communication is nonverbal. A lot of it's non-cognitive. A lot of it's not really stuff that you even know how to speak about. So there's this creature that's been made to communicate with God. It's called a human being, you. He created you to communicate with him. And then when people look at the ways that they communicate with one another, they come up with this thing where they say, well, it's 80% nonverbal. And then when you talk to Christians, they say, well, I never hear God's voice. And I say, what, are you stupid or something? No, I never say that. That's what I think. It's like, what? If human communication is 80% nonverbal, what's God's communication going to be? He made us to communicate with Him. Come on now, nudge your neighbor, tell him. Surely, most of God's communication with you is nonverbal. So you need to open your eyes. You need to look around. You need to notice things. You need to be aware. Of course, he'll speak to you through the sunset and sunrise. Anybody can get that one. Of course, he'll speak to you through the chuckle of a newborn child. Anybody can get that one. But what about the passing movement across the face of a person that you as yet do not know? When they serve you in the coffee shop or take care of you in the grocery line. What is it that's going on around you? And as you notice, begin to attend to what it is that God is saying and doing. And as you do that, it's amazing what happens. To kind of put it into context that's kind of familiar to us here at Apex on Sundays, when people come forward at the front, you know, I'll sit there and obviously the prayer team are doing it and it doesn't have to be a professional person to pray and so... I'll just wait, and maybe sometimes the Lord will say, go and, go and pray with that one. And I'll go and pray, and as I'm praying, 
I'm listening for what it is that God might want to say to this person. Now, just a few weeks ago, a young man came up and uh, he was praying at the front. And I simply shared with him what I saw Jesus doing as he stood and just laid his hand on his shoulder. I just saw Jesus laying his hand on his shoulder and speaking to him quietly. The young man came up afterwards and said, never thought about that before. It was almost like it was a life-changing moment. It was one of those moments where he saw Jesus doing something that he never imagined or anticipated before. You and I can all become proficient in attending to what it is that God is saying. And when we share it, it breaks chains. It opens eyes. It changes lives. Try it. Attend to what it is that God is saying. So, anticipation of good things, of God things. Attending to the fact that God's around here. He's up to something. What is he saying? What is he doing? Next one, big one, this one. Assumption of grace. Assumption of grace. Make the assumption that God wants to do something good. Why? Because He is good. Make the assumption that God wants to say something loving. Why? Because He's love. Make the assumption of grace. So you go into the grocery store, you, you go to the, to the garage where you get your car fixed, you, you go wherever, to your family's home. You anticipate that God's up to something, you attend to what it is that he might be saying. Your assumption is that he's got grace for this situation, grace for you, grace for the others around you. Already, you're living the life of faith. Already. You're living a life that almost nobody on the planet does except the believers of Jesus. Already, you have a different perspective, a different way of engaging with life. People like you more. Now, there'll be some people who are kind of unpleasant and unkind to you, but if you have an assumption of grace, it's amazing how people who are longing for grace, who only ever hear criticism and judgment. They go on their social media platform and they just wither one more time. It's amazing how that changes people's lives. And then act in trust. In other words, Expect God to do something good. Act. So, embracing our weakness is about acknowledgement, acceptance, articulation. Learning how to attend to God is about anticipating the good. It's about attending to what it is that God is doing and saying. It's assuming that there is grace for this situation that God wants to communicate through you to them. And then it requires you to act. Act 
with a trusting, open heart. Now, it could be that your life has taught you differently. It could be that the trauma and the pain of your circumstances has caused your heart to close and harden. But Jesus is here to help you even with that. It could be that your work causes you not to want to look because when you look, you see darkness and pain, death and difficulty. I know many of you, first responders, people in the medical field, find that your heart becomes somewhat trained to keep out the pain. And I completely understand that. But if we're going to learn how to walk as the first disciples did, if we're going to learn how to walk the way that Jesus did, who only did what he saw the Father doing, if we're going to grow in the skills of discipleship, we're going to have to grow in embracing our weakness and attending to what God is doing and saying. Back to ministry time. Lots of time at ministry time, we want to pray for people who have needs. We pray for the sick. We'll do that again this week. We pray for people who have suffered tragedy and trauma, and we'll do that again this week. We pray for those who are aware, maybe just today, of their brokenness. And again, we'll do that today. But what about if ministry time was also an opportunity to anticipate God speaking? What about if ministry time was an opportunity for you to freshly attend to what it is that God is saying to you for this day, for this week, for this season of your life? What if that was ministry time today? I've given the prayer team a heads up. When they come and recruit members of the congregation, they'll tell them the same. When you come and pray with someone today, expect God to speak to you for them. He'll give you a scripture, maybe a verse from a song. Maybe he'll give you a picture. Maybe he'll give you a sense of feeling that you can communicate to another person. Because, of course, God will communicate to us in the way that we communicate with one another. Because he made us to communicate. And as we stumble and, and struggle to share what it is that we feel and see and sense and think... It's in that that God weaves together this gracious fabric of revelation that changes our life and gives us faith. So as we complete our time today, and you think about coming forward for this time of ministry, I challenge you today. Do you want to grow in learning how to see and hear 
to, do you want to anticipate that today God could speak to you afresh? Do you imagine that this could be a moment when you attend to his voice anew and he gives you revelation that will provide a breakthrough that maybe you were not expecting? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are transcendent, that you are glorious, that you are majestic above all gods. Thank you, Lord, that you, seated in the highest heavens, can see the end from the beginning. And thank you, Lord, that in your hand are the seasons of each person's life. But thank you, Lord, from your lofty throne, you chose to step not only into our world, but into our experience. And today, Lord, you say, fear not to those who fear. Get out to those who are in danger. Be strong to those who are failing. Take courage to those who are wrestling. Thank you, Jesus, that you meet us in this moment where we are. Lord, we want to grow in our ability to follow. And we know it's about repentance of faith because that's what you said at the beginning. And we know, Lord, so often that those words have been kind of given a religious veneer that means that we so rarely use them again. So, Lord, today we want to embrace our weakness and attend to you in what you're doing and saying. And, Lord, I pray for my sisters and brothers that this morning would be a morning, a moment when you cause new and great things to happen. Lord, I pray for anticipation to rise in the hearts of your people. I pray, Lord, that the challenge of the assumption of grace would be something that would motivate some to come and hear afresh. Because, Lord, you want good things for us. Lord, I pray that you would do this. And that as we gather in this ministry time, and we give space to it that, Lord Jesus, you'd speak, you'd direct, you'd heal, you'd change, you'd transform, you'd open a window on heaven so we can see our destination. Let your kingdom come and your will be done, we pray.